0: Thank you for partnering with us in expressing this sacred story.
1: This sermon series began with the good news of repentance, which actually aligns with contemporary findings on neural plasticity, which is to say, your mind can be changed. Our brains can rewire, they can be restructured on a neural level, and this, you see, is good. It is actually deeply good news for us humans. Last week, Pastor Ben talked about the barrier of criticism in our human flourishing, and this morning we'll consider the barrier of tribalism. Imagine for a moment that you're alive many thousands of years ago, Painting with a very broad brush, you live at the edge of a forest in a shelter that leans against a large cliff like rock wall. This is a great place for you to live due to the rock wall. Nobody can sneak up behind you. It's mostly sheltered from the elements, and within the space of less than an acre or two are all of your relatives. It's your tribe. Because you're surrounded by your relatives, everyone around you looks very much the same and everyone around you behaves very much the same. And it's this sameness that functions to you as a sign, as a symbol that you are safe in the world. I'd like to say that again because it's really important. It's this sameness that functions as a sign, a symbol to yourself that you are safe in the world. Now, every time you leave your shelter or your tribe, say, to go hunt or to scour for food, this is what you feel. You are hyper-aware of everything around you because everything is different than what you're used to, and everything that is different is, for you, a potential threat of danger, Because of this, you're on hyper alert while you walk around and hunt and scour until finally you return to your shelter and your body begins to slowly unclench. You begin to feel peace and freedom as you settle back into the similarity and safety of your tribe. This was the human experience for millennia. Longer than millennia, actually, throughout human history, this primal experience was so consistent, so very consistent, that it was baked into the bones of humanity as as we grew and aged and became a modern people. And this consistent experience shaped our brain's wiring. And so deep, deep inside of us is the human fixation and desire for similarity and safety. And when we humans notice a lack of similarity or merely leave the safety of our homes, well, to this very day, the lack of safety and similarity can rouse hyper-alertness, which, over a very long time, has conditioned us to prefer to prefer that. That's important to notice. The lack of safety and similarity rouses hyper-alertness, which has conditioned us to prefer safety and similarity. That is a deep, embedded human preference. Now, here's why. Because hyper-alertness actually requires a ton of energy that our bodies would rather not exert. That's why we have this preference. Here's what I mean. It all starts with the amygdala and stress response, commonly called fight, flight, or freeze responses, which is a normal reaction to an acute or short-term stressor. Now, the stress response starts in the brain in your amygdala, a part of the brain involved with emotions such as fear. The amygdala sends a danger signal to the hypothalamus, the part of your brain that regulates many key bodily functions like temperature and heart rate. The hypothalamus then activates your sympathetic nervous system, the alert system, which comes with an adrenaline boost and kicks your body into high gear so that you are now ready to face any potential threat, which is everywhere once you're outside of your home and away from your tribe. But after fight, flight, or freeze, your hypothalamus activates another stress response system, the hypothalamic-pituitary-adrenal axis, graciously referred to as the HPA axis. (laughs) The HPA axis works to keep your sympathetic nervous system engaged and on high alert. And on a physical level, this releases cortisol, the stress hormone, into your system. But while cortisol helps your mind and body to handle stressful events in the short term, Contemporary findings tell us that chronic stress to the HPA axis can become dysregulated so that it begins to release cortisol and fits and starts to more and more and more human events that we encounter, meaning that we're feeling more and more and more stressed all of the time. And this is when stress begins to take a toll on our brains and on our bodies, which our brains and bodies would prefer to avoid because of the energy cost, right? Just for a moment, place yourself in a situation where you're feeling a little bit afraid, a little bit stirred up. You're surrounded by difference. Your body just, you can feel it, can't you? Your jaw clenches. Maybe your hands get a little bit tight, you feel some tightness in your chest. This is a lot of energy that your body is is using to try and keep us humans regulated when we experience difference. And it's for this reason that we humans deeply prefer the safety of similarity. It is easier for us to stay alive, and it requires less energy. But here's the thing: while the way of tribalism has helped our lineage to survive through its preference for safety through similarity, it isn't necessarily helpful for human flourishing at this point in the evolutionary process. You see, we now live in a world that is sometimes called flat. And when I say flat, I'm not referring to Kyrie Irving's belief that the world is literally flat. I used a sports joke. This is thank you, thank you projects <laughs> doesn't usually have a lot of sports jokes. Okay, rather, by flat, I'm referring to the fact that we humans are now able to buy, sell, trade, talk, interact, and connect with any person at any time, no matter where a person lives in the world. Now think about this. This means that races are converging like never before. Languages are converging like never before. Religions are converging like never before. Cultures are converging like never before. It is all converging. To converge is to come together from different directions and to eventually meet. And herein lies the rub. Races and languages and religions and cultures by nature are different. Now, sure, there are similarities, but because of our evolutionary DNA, we aren't naturally attentive to the similarities. We don't just naturally go, like, in a moment of difference, like, oh, look at all we actually have in common. No, we don't notice those things. Rather, due to hundreds of thousands of years of evolution, we naturally prefer the safety of similarity, which requires less energy. But here's the thing, actually a few things. First, rarely do racial, linguistic, religious, or cultural differences present the danger of physical harm. They don't these days. To be clear, racial, linguistic, religious, or cultural differences may trigger our evolutionary fears about being in danger, but we are not actually in physical peril. I'd like to pause here for a moment. When we encounter difference, our evolutionary bodies feel like there is danger. And in those moments, our bodies are physiologically responding to that fear, the fear of physical danger. But to be clear, racial, linguistic, religious, or cultural differences are not physical threats. And so what happens is is really interesting. We casually transfer the fear of physical threat to the experience of differences. So that over time, difference begins triggering our evolutionary propensity for racial, linguistic, religious, or cultural. We should probably add sexual and political. Over time, difference begins triggering our evolutionary propensity for racial, linguistic, religious, cultural, sexual, political similarity, even though such differences are not actual threats to our lives. Do you see what I'm saying here? We experience ideological or cultural or racial difference and it can start getting us all worked up in an evolutionary way, even though we're not actually in any kind of physical danger. And so that's the first thing about tribalism that's important to understand. Difference can trigger our evolutionary fears about survival, even though today's differences aren't physically threatening. Now, come back to this in just a moment. Here's a second thing that's important to notice about tribalism. Because difference isn't a physical danger, the fears that difference often rouse inside of us, those are a terrible waste of energy. It's a terrible waste of energy. Remember my whole spiel on the physiology of the amygdala and the HPA axis and cortisol release? That's a ton of energy being used by the body to cope with situations that don't actually require that amount of energy, because we're not actually in physical danger. We're just experiencing difference, and it's triggering this evolutionary fear deep inside of our bodies. Here's the third thing about tribalism. The world is becoming more and more flat, which is to say we humans will encounter more and more and more difference as the years go by. And so if we don't evolve, right, like if we don't change, if we don't repent, which means very literally to have our minds change, then the energy that we expend when encountering difference will not only quite literally exhaust us, but we may also become habitually dysregulated. Like every single time we leave our home, every single time we leave our tribe, every single time we encounter somebody or something that is different, if we don't start to do the intentional work of mindfulness, we will become terribly exhausted, and terribly dysregulated. Maybe you feel that way when you read the news or you go out into the world or you spend time with extended family over the holidays. This is important work that we need to begin to do as humans. And finally, a fourth thing about tribalism, the divine dream as we see it in the book of Isaiah and the book of Revelation, isn't one tribe that rules them all. That is not the divine dream. Rather, the divine dream is a city of light filled with all kinds of different people. We see this especially in Isaiah, speaking in different tongues and participating in different tribes, but they've learned to abide together in love. Now that has to be a lot of love to become comfortable with difference. And we're not there, we have so far to go. And so if we hope to participate in that divine dream, then we will need to be intentional to address our preference for safety through similarity, i.e. tribalism. Otherwise, we Christians will actually hinder the human union toward which everything is moving. And we don't want to hinder that, do we? No, we want to deeply participate in that beautiful movement of God, which rouses the question, how? How do we do that? Well, returning to the point that difference can trigger our evolutionary fear of safety, we can begin by taking small, very just tiny little steps of mindfulness. A couple weeks ago, I was having lunch with somebody who comes from a a very conservative background and they live out in a rural area of Oregon. And we were in Portland having lunch together and we went to the counter and we ordered our food and we went and sat down and we had some water. And a couple minutes into the conversation, I could tell that the person was just a little stirred up and I asked them how they were doing and they said to me, at that counter ordering my food, that's the first time that I've ever engaged with a trans person. And I said, and how was your experience? And they said, it was actually just fine. And I said, that's been my experience, too. (laughs) (laughs) And we laugh, right? But that was a tender, honest moment. They were encountering fear through difference, and we had a moment afterward to acknowledge everything was okay. That's important. That realization, that recognition, that naming, that game that we play of trying to name and place ourselves in the world when there's difference all around is a very necessary human developmental experience. Similarly, when we see somebody that looks different or talk to somebody who believes different and we feel our bodies start to tighten or we notice our brains begin to swirl, we can begin trying to intentionally pause. Like, what if we just started there? Instead of responding to what we're feeling, right? Because that's what we usually do. What if we, what if we started by just intentionally pausing? And what if we became consistent even to maybe whisper inside of ourselves, difference is not the same thing as physical danger. If We started whispering that to ourselves when we feel like we're in danger through difference. And what if we just let that soak in? We can then try to rest into the experience, maybe take a couple deep breaths to help ourselves settle because we're not actually in any kind of physical harm. And afterward, this is really important in order to rewire our brain, this is called the work of integration. After encountering difference, we can begin trying to be intentional to reflect on our experience. Like I did with the person that I was sharing lunch with, we can notice that we weren't actually in danger, that we survived the difference Maybe we can even celebrate that. We survived the difference. It didn't harm us physically. And we may even begin to notice something that we learned by engaging in the difference. Like, oh, I saw something new. I learned something that I didn't know. Difference is good for me. Maybe even we make that into a mantra and we start saying it regularly a few times throughout the day. Difference is good for me. Difference is good for me. Over time, this work of mindfulness can help us to actually very literally restructure our brains, to repent, to think differently. And as we do, our physiological fight or flight response slowly begins to diminish, which means that we have more energy to not be afraid or to run away, but to actually live these precious lives that come and go like that. How wonderful is that? So good. Now, moving beyond the physiology of tribalism, I'd like for us to consider some practicalities when it comes to tribalism. First, to be clear, I don't think that the goal is to try and exist without tribes, right? Like we're just going to be one homogenous world, all together, all the same. Tribes are based on difference and marked by belonging. And that's actually important for humans. Think high school. We couldn't have high school without the drama kids and the band kids and the leadership kids and the sports kids. These various groupings allow kids to belong through similar difference. That's an oxymoron, but we need to get our brains about it in this modern world that's becoming more flat. Similar difference. But that is what makes drama, drama, right? And band, band, and leadership, leadership, and sports, sports. This is what makes a Buddhist, Buddhist, and a Christian, Christian. This is what makes you a member of your tribe and not somebody else's tribe. You see, without difference, there is sameness, which isn't the goal. That's like Christian nationalism. That is the opposite of the goal. That is moving backwards day by day and year by year. You see, without difference, there is sameness, which isn't the goal. Remember, the divine dream is a city of light filled with all kinds of different people speaking in different tongues who have learned together to abide together in love. That is the work. And so the work isn't homogenous humans. The work isn't all becoming citizens of the same country in some kind of legal way. The work isn't everyone becoming a Christian as if once we get dominion of the world, all will be good because they'll be just like us. I don't think that's good news. (laughs) Rather, the work is diverse humans who are no longer triggered into self-survival when encountering difference. That's the work. The work is diverse humans who are no longer triggered into self-survival because they've grown in their capacity to love one another. That is the work. That is the work today. And here's a second practicality when thinking about tribalism. Just for a moment, I know we're kind of full this morning, but just for a moment, hold your arms out wide. Uh, excuse the person next to you. Yeah, just kind of hold those, those. Yeah, go ahead and stretch them out. There we go. Good. Now, while your arms are out, just take a notice. take a moment to notice your arms. Right from your left fingertip all the way to your right fingertip. Okay? And while your arms are out wide, say these words with me. This is the width of my embodiment. This is the width of my embodiment. Good. Now, with your arms stretched out wide, kind of bring them in like you're trying to hold something. Say it again. This is the width of my embodiment. This is the width of my embodiment. I don't know if there's a more important phrase in 2023. When Jesus was alive and roaming around Palestine, he wasn't aware of what was going on on the other side of the planet. When Jesus was roaming around a town in Palestine, he was very rarely aware of what was happening on the other side of the town. But now we have news and social media and phones in our hands that give us access to real people and real problems on the other side of the planet, the other side of our city, and easily the other side of our neighborhood. What are we supposed to do with all of that? You see, in 2023, many of us are desiring to be good human citizens, right? We're trying to be good human citizens. That's important. We want to be aware, which often means seeing and listening and holding in our hearts and minds everything. But here's the thing. This is the width of my embodiment. Like, this is as far as I extend in the world. This is as far as you extend in the world. To be clear, I'm not suggesting that we stick our heads in the ground and give all of our attention to one tribe caring little for the greater world around us. I'm not saying that. But to be very honest, I don't think that is the problem at Pearl Church. That's not one of the things we need to grow in. Like, we need more awareness of the whole world and all of its troubles. But really, how much can we actually hold? How much? You see, evolutionarily speaking, tribalism has taught us to care deeply for our tribe. But as we continue forward in a world that's becoming more and more flat, the whole thing can begin to feel like ours to take care of. And that is way, way too much. And so what are we to do? Well, let's think about Jesus and consider the way of Jesus because Christians love Jesus, right? He's our Messiah. He is the way of truth and life in this world. Okay, so did we ever notice that Jesus took breaks? I think Christians have this idea that we just go, go, go. We're aware of everything. We're caring for everyone. We're dying on crosses. But Jesus took breaks. I mean, he had a short ministry, three years. Who would like a three-year career before retiring? <laughs> right? I don't think we'd take one day off. Three years, and then I'll have my whole life off, right? No breaks. Jesus, three years, he took breaks. He would often just disappear. He'd take nights, entire nights by himself. He'd leave in the morning to just go spend some time with himself to meditate and pray. And this would often make his disciples kind of grumpy. Where did Jesus go this time? They were so <laughs> bugged by him. I guess you could say that it's Christ like to sit, take some space for yourself. How about that for a mantra? It is Christ like for me to take some space to myself which is hard to do and maybe even impossible to do when we're trying to hold the entire world in our arms. God, it's such a big world. But to be clear over time, we'll have a hard time holding anyone if we don't make a practice of holding ourselves. And so what if we were to start doing that? Like before we turn on our phone, before we text our friends. My son has this thing where his phone beeps and he takes a picture of himself and what he's seeing and all of his friends do it. I've been a part of a couple of those. Very frightening. <laughs> <laughs> my own deal is all freaking out. I don't know what to do in that moment. Have you ever noticed that Jesus also said no to people? No. Oh, that's not very Christ-like. It, but it is. Like in Mark chapter 5, Jesus healed that possessed man. Remember, and the possessed man said, I want to come in your boat and be one of your disciples. And Jesus said... No. Go home to your family and friends. I mean, Jesus was a terrible evangelist. (laughs) He should be saying yes to everyone and everything. I mean, that's what a good Jesus would do. But Jesus said no. And have you ever noticed that Jesus had relational preferences? Like, he was closest to the three disciples, Peter, James, and John. They were the only ones with him during the transfiguration. I bet that made the other disciples kind of upset. I mean, when he was in Gethsemane, the disciples were with him, but he brought Peter, James, and John even further in to the garden with him. I bet that was fairly upsetting for the other disciples. You mean Jesus had a click? Kind of. Remember, this is the width of my embodiment. This is all we can do. And of course, the three were part of the 12 who spent less time with Jesus than the three. This is the width of my embodiment. The 12 were part of what was called the 70 who spent less time with Jesus than the 12. This is the width of my embodiment. And the now healed, possessed man was not even allowed in the 70, but told to go home to his friends and family. This is the width of my embodiment. And to be clear, this is difficult for us to consider because our compassion and love for the whole world makes us want to say yes. We'll talk about this next week. For our own survival, we want to say yes. We want to please everyone because that procures our own safety in the world. But to hold all of the sorrows, like not just your own and not just your friends and not just your family and not just your tribe, but every tribe across the entire globe to try and hold it all, well, that is just too much. It's actually impossible and will cause us to feel overwhelmed. It will actually, over time, make us less relational because our bodies will begin to say to us, you can't hold all of that. And then in a very unhealthy way, we start to pull ourselves back. What we need to do is consider every person and their sorrow, and every person and sorrow must be considered in light of our own limitations because this is the width of my embodiment. We have to consider our capacity, and that is actually good and wise and truly loving. Ah, there's so much that can be said on this topic. How do we choose who to share our lives with? What sorrows do we make space for in our lives? The best answer I've found is to keep making space for myself. That's where I have to start. I have to start with myself, like this person right here, Mike Roth. Mike Roth with Mike Roth stories and Mike Roth families and Mike Roth passions and Mike Roth desires and Mike Roth callings, which are going to be different from your families and your passions and your desires and your callings. I don't know, maybe you're called to leave everything here to go way over there. Like, maybe that's your calling. Or maybe you're called to begin intentionally cutting out some news about all of the problems out there so that you can more truly be present, right, like, like here, inside of yourself. It's going to be different for us all, and that's okay. It's okay to be intentionally part of tribes as long as those tribes are expressions of the lives we feel called deep inside of ourselves to live. All the while, ensuring that our tribes don't close us down and shut us off from encountering difference that helps us to learn and grow and to continue to expand as humans. The divine dream is a city of light filled with all kinds of different people speaking in different tongues, abiding together in love. And we have been birthed into this world, into this world, maybe we could call it into this classroom. We've been birthed into a classroom that exists to help us grow. This classroom is capable of growing our understanding of ourselves so that we can figure out what it is that we actually want to and are supposed to wrap our arms around. And it's capable of growing our capacity to not fret, but to actually begin to expand when we encounter the goodness of difference day by day on this ever-increasingly flat planet. Let us pray. Divine love, our tribes can be good and safe, but they can also limit the diversity of life that's found and celebrated through difference. I ask that you would open us more and more to your spiritual house, which is comprised of all people. And through self-awareness, God, would you help us to know what is ours to hold, what is ours to care for, what is ours to love, so that we might give all of ourselves to that work, which is good, very good.
0: We hope that this sermon inspired you to ponder the sacred, to consider the mystery and love of God, and to live bountifully. If you don't already support our work, will you begin today? You can donate easily and securely at our website, pearlchurch.org, or follow the link in the podcast notes. Thank you for partnering with us in expressing this sacred story.